Okay, today I'm on the Zoom call to Michigan in the USA with betting legend Stephen Diano. And Stephen, I'm a, it's okay to call you Fats. Absolutely. And that's not being offensive. How dare you say that? <laughs> We're not being offensive, everyone. That's uh, that's Stephen's nickname, and he's at real underscore fats on Twitter. If anybody wants to uh, to connect with him, so Stephen, um, for people that don't know, what would you say you do for a living? Um, I'm a professional sports gambler. Um, I'm not a handicapper per se. I'm more of a an actual better, and what that means basically is. I have lots of places that I can bet at and I I network with sharp people who are proven winners and help them get down at the the best numbers that they can get down at and usually better numbers than they can get themselves. And, uh, and then I take advantage of that information to bet for myself as well. So would you would you take a commission from their business or is your commission just getting to know what they back? For the most part, um, if it's somebody that's well-respected that I know is a proven winner, I'm happy to be able to do it for free and then be able to, you know, play their information for myself. There are situations where, you know, sometimes you're not sure about how good somebody is and they'll say, well, look, I'll just, you just bet it and I'll give you a percentage. And then you don't have to put your own money up at all. You just get them down and do that. And, um, that works fine. Uh, I mean, over in the early years, a lot of what I did was was that type of an arrangement. And after I got to the point where I was went on my own and doing my own thing, then I uh, pretty much would seek those people out, not looking for any kind of a deal or a percentage, just to get the information. Okay, now I've done a fair bit of research by listening to quite a few things that you've done previously. So even though I've taken my questions from them, we'll try not to totally you know, re rehash what we've already said. But I just want to get to the, the you know, the interest of the beginning. You started at a very early age in betting at school. And I understand your your, your schoolmate's father was a bookie. Yeah, my, I had a friend whose father was a bookmaker, which I didn't actually know at the time. I had a, a neighbor of mine that was a, that would bet. And uh, I would just hang out at his house. And, you know, he was maybe 10, eight to 10 years older than me. So he was a young adult and he had a bookmaker and I would hear him bet and I would be like, oh, that's interesting. And then I, and then I found out my friends, one of my friends' father was a bookie and he would take small bets. And so I started uh, betting small with him just for the fun and excitement of it. So what, back in the, in those days in America, I mean, what was the, legality of bookmaking was that a legal thing he was doing or was he just like a somebody that took bets off his mates and stuff well no he was a legitimate illegal bookmaker um just like pretty much any you know private bookmaker was um but he you know he wasn't you know somebody who was going to be on anybody's radar he was more of a a local mom and pop guy versus a uh you know, uh, a guy who's got people calling him from all over the country and stuff like that. And um, you, you, you mentioned your neighbor. I heard on one of the, the uh, podcasts you did that you heard him calling in some bets and you thought that sounds like, uh, that sounds like fun. So were you involved, you know, taking an extra sort of interest in sports as in 
who was going to win, that sort of thing. Were you thinking that way before you realised you could bet on it? Did you like to try and work rather than just pick your favourite team and hope they'd win? Did you sort of... Yeah, I, I think actually I got kind of one of the earlier things I did before I, or along the lines of, <coughs> excuse me, um, seeing the um, the betting the games was, you know, there used to be pools where you would just pick the winners, um, you know, like a, I had, there was a teacher pool in my high school and uh I happened to see it sitting on the teacher's desk one day, my French teacher, and I said, oh, by the way, you should pick Pittsburgh this week. And so she said, well, who else should I take? And so I went through and I picked all the games for her. And then next Monday I come in and she won the teacher's pool that week and she slipped me $20 or something. And uh, so that was a first idea that man, maybe, you know, I might be able to pick games or stuff like that. But uh Early on, it was just kind of just picking, uh, you know, it was just, it was just gambling. I was no expert. I had no edge early. And uh, eventually, I, then I got into the idea of, from my neighbor, uh, the concept of trying to middle where, you know, you maybe you bet both sides and try and catch the number in the middle. So you're low risk, high gain. So in the, in the UK, they, they call middling arbing or arbitrage. And the bookmakers hate it. If they think that they've left themselves open for somebody to take what they call an arb, their accounts are closed just like that, even though a lot of people don't really understand why. Is it something that's looked upon differently in America? The bookmakers not not mine. It depends. It depends whether you're a good bookmaker or a bad bookmaker. If you're a bad bookmaker, like a lot of the US operators like DraftKings and um Bet MGM and and a bunch of others. Yeah. That's they, they look at that. If they, they don't even care if you bet both sides, they care if you bet one side and win, they, they want to throw you out. Whereas um, a real bookmaker is happy to write business on both sides. And what do they care if you bet, you know, if one guy bets minus three and somebody else takes plus four, well, what's the difference if it was the same guy that laid three and took four, it's still the same the, the money's not different. So they're basically getting arbitraged anyway. So who cares if it's the same guy or not the same guy? They're still putting themselves in a position for for those bets. And as you feel that mindset's changed a bit since the bigger sort of corporate type people have come into the game? Yeah, the corporate, uh, corporate America has ruined sports gambling. I mean, it used to only be just in Nevada – and then the idea of it being legalized throughout the country was like the biggest thrill in the world until the corporate people that are running the U.S. books aren't running them like a legitimate sports book. They're, they're targeting, first of all, they market themselves on responsible gaming and then they target, they target people who have gambling problems and uh, and they want people, they try to teach people responsible gaming is betting for fun and for the action. I mean, nobody I know places a bet, even the worst gambler in the world doesn't place the bet thinking he's, well, I'm going to have, have fun rooting for the bet, even though I know I'm going to lose or I hope I lose. They want to have fun 
They want to have action and win. They don't want to have action and lose. So nobody thinks they're ever going to lose. And they lately, I mean, their defining responsible gaming is just bet and have fun. And if you lose, if you start to lose, seek help. Yeah, when at what point that's very similar to what's happening in the UK as well. At what point from that bright-eyed schoolboy that realized that you could make a few quid betting, did you start to actually make a few quid betting properly or you know for a living? Well, I had gone and I had taken a trip around the country and I'd been to Vegas. And um when I was in Vegas and saw the lines. I um or talked to somebody out there and I got this idea that wow, you know, between the bookmakers back home that I knew I could bet with and the lines in Vegas, I should be able to do a lot of middling. So I made plans to move to Las Vegas for college basketball season that January. And when I got there, um, my plan was to bet with the casinos and with my bookies back east, and and after after I was there for a week, thank God I figured out that that was a bad idea. Because if I had tried to do that original plan, I probably would have been broke and ended up back in Philadelphia where I started. Because I didn't bring that much. I really didn't have enough money that I could afford to make too many bets on one side and then bet the other side and then be transferring the money back and forth across the country, it would have never worked. But while I was out there, I met, I, um, I knew of a group that was kind of betting for a living out there. So I decided to, uh, I ended up working for them as a runner. And in doing that, I kind of learned the ropes about how the kind of more about how the lines move and how the betting works. And, um, and then after about three months, the guy who was running the the group of runners didn't want to do it anymore. And I had shown uh, good potential. And the, the guy who was running the group said, all right, you're in charge now. So, And then I just went from there. Okay. Now, were they doing the same thing, but on a much bigger scale? So were they middling or was there a, a good chance? No, they were just, they were just betting. Right. They so there was a brain. They opened my brain. eyes to just – just just bet the good stuff and don't worry so much about betting both sides. Okay, now this is this is going back to a, a long podcast I listened to. Is this the fellow that you described as the businessman that yes, that sir. was that ran this? So, um, so why can't you mention his name? Is it just you just don't want to? Well, he he's he's passed away, so he's not um, he's not alive anymore. So, I mean, those that know me and know of me, they they know who he is. And they know, uh, and I, I just out of respect for his family or whatever, there's no reason, and I don't see any reason to bring his his name into it. I mean, he was a businessman. He used to own supermarkets. Uh, he owned a bunch of supermarkets and and a bunch of other businesses, real estate, apartments, and stuff like that. And uh, okay. so I just didn't uh, never saw the need to to mention his name. It's not it's not a his name's not a secret, and anybody that wants to know can probably research it and figure it out. I just okay. didn't feel like, out of respect for the family, that it was uh, any reason to say his name. So I 
just referred to him as the businessman. Okay, so so the businessman is. So what was his what was his expertise in edge? He his expertise was well. He did count cards in blackjack. That's a whole nother. That's that's a whole nother episode we'd have to do. Um, but he knew a guy in uh, in New York who was kind of like an agent for big New York bookmakers and also a professional gambler. And <clears throat> that guy taught him how to bet and what how to determine what's sharp and not sharp and what to follow and what not to follow. And um, so that was where his expertise came. And then we used that information to um, to do what we were going to do. Okay. So when, when you're in Vegas, were all those bets, did they have to be placed in person in casinos? I'm sorry, I didn't. When, when you were working in Vegas, putting bets on for the businessman, all your runners were putting bets on, did the bets have to be placed in person in casinos? Yes, we would be in the casinos and he'd have an office uh, back um, east and we would have an 800 number. We'd just pick up a payphone and call the 800 number. And generally we would, each runner would would be at a different casino and we would just call in the lines at that casino. And then there would be somebody there that would keep track of our lines. And then every time a line changed, we would call up and give them the line change. And then if they wanted to bet something, they would find a way to call us back or um, they would tell us when we called in a change, they would say, go bet such and such. And then we would bet it and then call in the place, call in the bets. How, how big an operation was this? How many people would you have been in charge of sending off to have these bets? Um, the we would have anywhere from three to five runners at the most. Usually, we would have two or three, and then what? What the businessman used to do is because he had a couple guys that worked in the supermarket that were, you know, they they like gambling and the sports betting. And what he would do is he would, if they would work a good solid week, like put in a good 60 hour week in the supermarket, he'd stick them on a plane Friday afternoon, fly them out to Vegas, and then they would get to Vegas and then they'd be all mine for like 48 hours. And I would run them all over town all day and all night. And um, then they would fly back Sunday and go right to work at the supermarket. So they would, but they would love it to come out to Vegas for two days. I don't know when they ever slept because I kept them pretty busy. And I used to call them, uh, we used to call them the weekend warriors. Okay, Fats, you mentioned you've got the... Yeah, so you're in charge. You've got a team of runners running around Vegas putting money on for the businessman. Where all these... You said that all the bets were placed in casinos. Was it cash or did you have a line of credit? It was all It was all cash. There was a, a stretch where through somebody that I knew from like that first weekend when I went to Vegas and decided I was going to move to Vegas, um... There was 
one casino where I was able to hook up with um, the sportsbook manager and the the guy who handled the credit, and they gave me a credit line of like fifteen or twenty thousand where I could go to the cage, take the cash out of the cage, place the bets, and then you know I just would have to pay those markers back right away. But I was able to even use the money to take out the cash and run next door to the next casino and make the bet too. So it was a privilege I had for uh, for a little while in uh, one particular casino. But for the most part, it was always all put the cash up and bet. So, so the the other gamble, apart from the teams that you were backing winning, was that the the runners were trustworthy. I understand the the businessman had a a unique sort of attitude towards runners that stole off of him. Well, we I had a a very good track record over the years as far as people stealing. And that was because um, unlike most crews that had runners, they would give the guy a bankroll. He would make the bets and they would check a figure every day. Whereas I would meet my runners on a daily basis, give them their bankroll in the morning. They would go off to the casino, make their bets. And then I would collect them and cash them out every day and then just give them a fresh bank to start each day. So they didn't have the temptation of if they wanted to play blackjack at three o'clock in the morning, daddy used their own money. They didn't have my money to do it. So I had a lot of, um, a lot of success uh, keeping guys from doing that. But there was a few guys that I let, um, I gave a little more um, of a leash to, and those were guys that, you know, came originally were sent out to work um, to move to Vegas and work uh, from the businessman or through somebody that we, we knew well. So a lot of times, um, you know, I would put a little more trust in those guys, but what would happen is if we had a guy that did something like that, what, the businessman would do is he would send that would we'd have to ask the guy to go back to Vegas or go back to Philadelphia and he would work in the supermarket and and pay it off. And after he, you know, proved himself and paid it off, then he would work his way back into the sports betting business again. You you told this story on one of the things I listened to about a guy that said he spent it all on drugs and then said it was your fault for giving me the money. The businessman. Uh, that's a guy. He was a guy that really had, he had absolutely nothing to do with the sports, but he was a guy that worked in the supermarket. And one of the things that the businessman was really good at is he could take a guy, take like the worst kind of guy and motivate them and kind of rehabilitate them and show them a little faith and, and get him but there was this one guy his name was leo and there was there was no rehabilitating this guy this guy was just a stone bad guy and the businessman had him working in the supermarkets and doing other things for him and so there was this one situation where he had to send he needed to give five thousand dollars to somebody down in atlantic city so he give it gives the five thousand to leo and tells Leo to go meet this guy. Leo says, no problem. And then Leo disappears and we'll see Leo for like a week. 
and it never shows up. So, so about a week or so later, he gets we're up in his office above the supermarkets, and he's got Leo there, and he says, "Leo, well, what happened? What'd you do with the money?" He says, "I spent it." So, what'd you spend it on? I said, "Drugs, gambling, whatever, whatever I wanted to spend it on." He says. Why'd you do that? He says, because I had it. And and Mike says, and, and, and the businessman's like, well, I don't understand. And Leo says, what do you understand? First of all, he says, I don't know. Why, why are you blaming me? And the businessman says, what are you talking about? And Leo says, you know me. You know better than to give me $5,000. What the hell did you think I was going to do with it? It's your fault. You should have never given it to me. And the <laughs> businessman says, you know what? You're right. It is my fault. And that was the end of it. Dropped. You mentioned uh, earlier, you said there are other crews. So how many other crews would there have been in Vegas at that time, you know, for different bosses? Oh, gosh, there could have been as many as five to ten. Um, I mean, Dinky had a crew. And there was a, um, let's see, Artie had a crew. Um, there was a Davy guy named Davy K had a crew. Um, Billy obviously had his own crew. I mean, that's five. And then there were other crews out there that maybe were a little smaller or a little more under the radar that that were out there. And you didn't always know who they were with, but they were. Obviously, you know, um, what's the word for, uh, you know, a, a group of some sort or working in coordination with something. They weren't just some guy walking up to the counter and just betting for funds and, you know, shits and giggles. So, so these, so this many people got organized crews, you assume that they all must be winning. Otherwise they'd have disappeared again. So do you think that, was that, does that suggest that the bookmakers weren't as smart as the punters generally? It sounds a silly thing to say, but it seems that they would have made a lot of mistakes if that many crews could have made it pay and organize a crew like that. Well, you know, I would have to say no to that because, I mean, if you look at the um, reports that the casinos put out from month to month, you never see them put out a month where they lost on sports betting or, I mean, so they're, they're, they were still winning. And a lot, there were a lot of times when the casinos need needed the help of, of the, the sharp guys because the public would be so heavy on a game. They just kept drive betting, 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 betting. And, we would be the only ones that would buy back the other side um, because we felt that they drove the line uh, too far. So um, really a smart bookmaker just writes a bet, moves the line, continues to write like circus sports does now in Vegas. They're like setting this gold standard for the way bookmaking used to be and the way it should still be. So there was not, not a situation then where, one of your men would go into the casino and they'd say, I'll oh, leave me out. You're sticking on for the businessman. He's too clever for us because there was enough public money to cover what you guys were winning. Oh, no, no. They would still throw us out. All, all the right. Time. 
they would they would try to throw you out, and then you just send a new guy in, and he'd last a week or two, and then you would send a new guy in, and then some places would make a rule where you could come in and bet, but you can only come in once a day. Come in once a day, make your bets, and leave. So you had to coordinate it, you know, all kinds of different ways. There would be because a lot of times you you only go to a place because you would have the line service like at the time it was Don Best and the game would be seven everywhere and then maybe you see an eight pops up at this one casino. Well, you you want to take the plus eight, but that's the only thing. So you would go straight there, send somebody over there right away to grab the eight if you didn't have somebody sitting there already. And uh, so that was kind of... Um, you know, some of those rules. So if you went in and you took that eight, then in one of those places where you couldn't send another, that guy couldn't go back in there later in the day and make a bet. So. Okay. So the, the guys that I spoke to that um, tipped me up to try and get in contact with you said that you're, you know, a legend in the, in the game in Las Vegas and everybody wanted to be around you at the, at the thing, you the function you were at. But some another person that gets mentioned in revered tones as well is Billy Walters. I assume you meant him when you said Billy earlier on. What yeah, yeah, Billy's on? group. Yeah, the computer group, Billy Walters, yes. And you worked for him after the businessman? I worked for him after the businessman for one year. And then after the year I worked for him, then I went on my own. Okay, so what, what sort of work did you do for Billy? Pretty much the same as I did... Um, for the businessman, you know, Billy would uh, call me to, he would give me a set of outs that were his own personal outs that I would call and bet for him. And I would have my own outs that I would call and, and bet for him and turn in a percentage. And I, I would have a, cause I was working for him. I would turn it in and I would get a free roll on that um, on my outs. I, the year I worked for him, I really I had nothing to do with the betting in the casinos. I I worked strictly out of out of my office betting private guys. I didn't uh, deal with deal with anything in the casinos. The you year mentioned I he was. For him. You mentioned he was at the computer teams. Was he one of the first people to sort of utilize technology to try and get the extra edge? Is that how he, how he made his money? He what he did was. There was a computer, a guy that had written a computer program that was turned out to be really good at handicapping the games. And the problem was the guy had no clue how to bet. So what would happen is he went out to Vegas to test his, his program and he was winning. And then what would happen is, so he would want to go around from casino to casino to bet what his games were. But after people realized that this guy is winning, he would go to the first casino, people would see him bet. And then by the time he went to the second casino, somebody would have called ahead and already bet in all his games. As soon as he would bet the first casino, his games would start moving in all the other casinos because people would call ahead. And so he didn't know how to deal with that. And Billy's expertise was dealing with stuff like that and how to organize betting to you know, account for that. And, and that was why they made such a good partnership together. But just, just as an aside at the end, at the end of this part, 
we talk about you talk about sports betting. Sports betting is your game, and all the people we've talked about. But was was betting on horse racing a big thing in the casinos as well in those days? Is it were there crews doing horse racing? There were, every now and then you would get to get a call. Oh, you got to bet so and so in the fourth at such and such, and and I used to hate it when I would get that call because first of all, you would go into the casino and because it was a quote hot horse what would happen is that if one or two people go in like let's say the horse is listed as like 10 to 1 on the morning line and and somebody goes in and says all right I want to bet this horse and then two min- 10 minutes later another guy comes in and singles out that horse and you know you got a whole card and everybody comes in and wants to bet the the third horse in the fourth race and everybody wants to bet it, then the casinos would be like, no, 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 no. We don't want any more of this because they were booking the action themselves. They weren't putting the money into the paramutual pool. Now, now these days, the money goes in right into the paramutual pool. So there's no really, casinos don't care. They're, they, they're getting their 17% or whatever it is they're getting. But back then, the casinos didn't want the exposure. But what I would find amusing was by the time this horse went off, it would go off at like two to one or, and it would never, they never went off at 10 to one. They would always, by the time it got around the post time, the horse would go off at two to one and then it never would win. So I just used to dread getting those phone calls because people would be like, Oh, you got to bet this horse. I'd be like, yeah, okay. I just couldn't deal with it. Okay, Fat, so you've worked for the businessman, you've done a year with Billy Walters, and you've learned a bit, and you think, what was what was the catalyst that made you decide to go it alone? Because you were you were on a guaranteed cop every year with these guys, a guaranteed win. So why did you decide to, to step, step it up a bit and do your own thing? Well, the decision was made. I was more than willing to work for Billy a second year. And... Um, the offer I had from Billy to work the second year was less than the offer that I had to work first year. And I refused to, um, I said, I'm not, I'm not going to do it. If, if you're going to pay me, if I'm going to make less than I made the year before. So I just said, I'll just go on my own and um, take my chances. And where are you was this you picking your own selections and doing all the work or did you have a, a team that you would sort of discuss? No, no. With? I, when I was working for Billy, I would just, he would call and I would bet what he wanted to bet. Yeah. But yeah. But when but, you went, when you went on your own. Well, when I went on my own, um, what I did was I, over the years I had relationships with, um, you know, I still had a relationship with the businessman who was still in business. I had relationships with other professional um, handicappers and players in the business. And so what I did was when I went on my own, I would stay in touch with them and and try and do stuff to um, help them out. For example, let's say I walked into a casino 
and it was a game football game that was eight and it was good for five thousand dollar betting limit and the line pretty much was seven everywhere around town and let's say when i started on my own i was only betting about two thousand a game but my dna was wired so that i couldn't just walk into that casino and bet plus the eight for two thousand and let them move the line and it'd be like throwing three thousand dollars worth of value in the trash so i would bet it for five thousand knowing that most sharp people would take that and then i would call around to a lot of the sharp guys that i knew and say hey you know i got an extra nickel on so-and-so plus eight would you like it and they'd be like yeah yeah i'll take it and then call the next guy yeah yeah i'll take it so you give out six nuggets plus eight to six different sharp guys now when you need to know something or need information that you know they'll pay it back to you so that was how i maintained relationships by just overbetting stuff that I knew I would bet that was good stuff that they would want and offering it and sharing it. And, and that kept me uh, in business. Also, I have to confess that um, the, the guy who was in charge of the runners for Billy Walters, um, the way they worked was they had a, these alphanumeric pagers. So when Billy would want to bet something in the casinos, he would call his guy who ran the runners and he would tell them and they would type the bet like Pittsburgh minus three and they would type it into the alphanumeric pager and then all the runners would see it and then they would run to the window and bet Pittsburgh minus three. Well, because I had made good friends with the guy who was running the runners for, for Billy, he slipped me a a pager so i also always had the information of knowing what billy was betting in the casinos when he was betting it which was usually a good three or four five minutes sometimes before you know he might bet all the casinos on the screen and stuff like that so that was key information that i had in my pocket that i kept very close to the best and um, was very helpful. How's the way you've operated changed over the years since you started? Over the years, how about from month to month? It's it, the business is the kind of business where you're basically reinventing the wheel time and time again because you'll find it. You'll find an edge, and you'll sit there and you'll be doing great, and then all of a sudden the casino will either say we're not taking this anymore or they'll just adjust the odds so that that edge is gone and so then you just move on to the next best thing that you can find so you you're always constantly pivoting and um rearranging or changing what you're doing can you tell us any edges that have now totally eroded that you used to have and you that it's not there anymore there was a when I moved to Michigan, there was a, um, I believe it was at WinBet. They had, um, they had a thing where um, you could bet the winner of the in NBA, the winner of the first half wins the game. Winner of the first half 
loses the game. There was like nine combinations. And I charted out like from the beginning of the year on it and looked at what the percentages were. And the percentages were too high the, what they were paying on certain combinations on certain games of certain point spreads. Like I charted out for games that were like picked to four and then like four to eight and then eight points or higher. And then I would chart it out all the combinations and the odds that they were given in, on certain spreads were too high for what was occurring. And so I would just play play those um, regularly and uh, I was doing I was doing well with them and then they uh, eventually one day they just adjusted them and that was the end of that was the end of that now I've read a quote from you and it's probably one of the one that you keep finding when you google your name you can't make a good bet a better bet by making a bad bet can you explain to us what you mean by that sure in other words a good bet is a bet where you're going to basically beat the closing line um, and have value. Uh, a bad bet is basically a bet you make at a number where you could bet it anywhere all you want and it's still going to be out there. So, for example, let's say you take uh, plus, um, plus six on a game. And now the line goes to uh, to four. Okay. Some people say, oh, well, great. You took six. Now you can lay four and you've got a two-point middle. Well, you really don't have a two-point middle because what you have is you have a, a good bet, the plus six, and you have a bad bet, the minus four, because the minus four is everywhere. So you can't make the plus six, which is a good bet, a better bet by making the bad bet minus four. Now, if you laid three when the game was four everywhere, that's different. But if you're just, in other words, if you're buying a a, a bet back to place a middle and the your buyback bet is at a number that's pretty much painted out there, you're making a bad bet and you're devaluing your original bet. You'd be better off just going in with the original bet okay changing the subject here slightly um it's quite a hairy business well it has been quite a hairy business being a, a, a professional gambler in america because the there's a bit of a gray area between being a professional gambler and being a bookmaker you in 2014 you could have gone to jail uh accused of being a bookmaker how how realistically did you think you actually were i see i needed it get to actually go into jail well, it's funny you should bring that up. The um, Well, first of all, I've always been a professional better. I've never been a bookmaker. And I tried to make that very clear to the district attorney in New York in the case. And um, I even took a – I went into – I had established – set up a meeting – with the district attorney and my lawyers and they had all the DAs there and the investigators there. And we were had a conference and 
they were trying to get me to be, they wanted to know if I would become a witness for them. And I said, I'll tell you what, I'll do you one better. I said, I'll tell you everything you want to know. And you don't even have to pay me, pay me to be a witness or, or give me any deal to be a witness. I'll just tell you the truth. Because they, they wanted, they were really after, their target was spanky. And they were trying to get him for being a bookmaker and all that. And I know Spanky, he's just a better. It's all he does is bet. And so I said, look, I said, I'll tell you anything you want to know about Spanky. And I'll be happy to take the stand and, and testify to it. And so I explained to them, you know, that how he's he's just a better and that he's not a bookmaker. And they told me that they can't let, allow me to, this is the district attorney said to me, you can't be, we can't let put you on the stand as a witness if you don't understand what our truth is. And so basically, even though they didn't understand, they're telling me I don't understand. I'm in the business. They're telling me I don't understand what the truth is. So if I don't testify to what they think the truth is, then they can't put me on the stand, which is ridiculous. Now, as far as my case was concerned, they had referred to me as a bookmaker in their press release when the um, when the case first broke. And I was very upset about that. And I said, look, I'm not making any deal uh, or whatever deal we make, you're going to have to retract what you said in that press release. And I really didn't want to make a deal at all until they finally made me the following offer after I held out for about two years and they offered me a sixth degree misdemeanor in where which I had to allocute that at some point during their investigation I committed some crime unspecified and that was the allocution now to my recollection, during the course of their investigation, I did go over the speed limit one time. So that's basically what I allocated to. Now, in addition to that plea, they had to provide me with a letter. And here's the letter that they, I'm going to read you the letter that they provided for me, because this is a rare, a rare piece of um, literature. It says... Uh, on October 26th, Stephen Deanna was arrested and charged with money laundering and enterprise corruption under this Queens County indictment. These felony charges have been dismissed against Mr. Deanna. Additionally, in our initial press release, we referred to Mr. Deanna as a bookmaker. As the investigation unfolded, it was determined that Mr. Deanna is not a bookmaker nor did he act as such within the scope of our investigation. Furthermore, it is the position of this office that Mr. Diano conducts himself legally as a professional gambler, and our office has received, has resolved his case with every intention that he be allowed to re-engage in that profession. There is nothing in our records that would lead us to believe Mr. Diano would pose any further risk should he be allowed to resume 
his betting activities. Please contact us if you have any concerns. Uh, New York, Queens County District Attorney. Not, nobody ever got one of those from, from a district attorney in a gambling case, but I held out for it and I got it. And that's um, one of my pride and joys of that case. You fought the law and you won. Uh, finally, that uh, has, is, is America's opening up bookmakers be legalized in places that they never were. Has that made it easier or harder in the USA for people who make their living betting? Um, repeat that. The America seems to be opening up. There's a lot of states legalizing gambling. Uh, bookmakers are going to be able to, to operate there legally where they weren't before. Has that made life easier or harder for people like you that make their living gambling? Well, it was easy for the first for about a year and then it became harder after that because these u.s operators aren't interested in being bookmakers they're interested in preying on the weakness of those who don't know what they're doing they're interested in educating educating people into betting irresponsibly under the guise of supporting responsible gaming and what they're really doing is they're taking anybody who has any kind of a propensity to win is they're forcing them back into the offshore market i mean every professional gambler that i know was thrilled thrilled to death that we were going to be able to bet with u.s operators in the u.s but nobody ever dreamed that they were going to be such be the same as you know these places that don't let you bet it's just ridiculous is there and a fight that i'm fighting constantly on twitter um every time they tweet about it responsible gaming i have a a response for them um very much on top of that and is there is there a one word answer for it is there a future for guys like you in for the next sort of 10 years Professional well, yeah, there's a future. There's still the offshore market. I mean, as much as the you know they they refer to these places as illegal, my understanding of the law is it's still not illegal to place the bets. It's illegal for the bookmakers to book the bets. So, I mean, I know of no case in the United States where a player, a person, was charged with placing a bet with an offshore or illegal quote illegal operator um they've attempted to attack the operators but <laughs> there's no evidence of uh, that i've seen of anybody being charged with placing the bets as okay. a player well uh stephen fats uh at real underscore fats on uh, twitter if anybody wants to engage you about this it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you and uh, thank you very much. My pleasure. Thank you for having me.